0: everyone. This is Paul Williams, President and CEO of Project for Pride and Living. Welcome to the Race, Place, and Policy podcast, our new policy podcast for PPL. This is our second iteration of our podcast series, and we're delighted to have you. As many of you know, PPL has been building communities and building success through affordable housing and career training for over 50 years now. One of the ways that we think... Uh, it, is, a, is an important way to build community, in fact, is to, is to, is to create ideas and, and talk and, and have dialogue about those ideas. Um, this podcast is a little bit different, a kind of workplace for us at PPL where we think we can have engaging discussions, can promote ideas, listen to community, and identify tools and strategies that can make a difference. Our firm belief is that issues of race, place, and policy, those three terms, race, place, and policy, are central to that discussion. So we thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll find a way to engage in this discussion with us long-term. Our topic this month is actually focused on Black-owned banks and the power of financial literacy in communities of color. Uh, As some of you may know, this month, the Twin Cities welcomes its first Black-owned bank First Independence Bank out of Detroit. PPL has been a part of a collaborative of of several of the major banks here in the Twin Cities in an effort to bring First Independence to this area. Uh, Those partners included Wells Fargo, US Bank, Huntington Bank, Bank of America and Bremer Banks. It was a fabulous collaborative effort to bring First Independence here uh, over really over the course of the last two years. I'm joined by Kenneth Kelly, CEO of First Independence Bank. Welcome, Kenneth. We're excited to be a partner with all of you in all of this.
1: Paul, thanks so much for that kind introduction. I'm glad to be here with you.
0: So before we get into kind of the weeds of all of this, um, let's answer kind of a threshold question. It's a simple question, really. Why is there a need for a Black-owned bank? Some folks might, might find it puzzling that that some BIPOC households don't use the already established banks. What's, what's the value add of a, of a black owned bank?
1: Well, Paul, as you know, if you follow history, there's always a component of representation and what it means and what it signifies. And so we know in a capitalistic society that banks are beacons of hope. Uh, they are the oxygen that provides for the growth of a community. And we wanna demonstrate in coming to the Twin City area that. African-Americans, too, can be successful running and organizing a bank charter that will allow people to see a reflection of themselves in how they look at capital in the community and how it is formulated to hopefully help them have and create more homeownership and better jobs.
0: So, so talk about uh, First Independence's kind of history and growth over the years. It's a fascinating, fascinating history.
1: Yeah, it, it is, Paul, and I would tell you it's ironic that we find ourselves in, uh, you know, 2020 dealing with some of the same issues, but our bank actually got started as one of the positive outcomes of the 1967 riots in Detroit. There was a movie made by about that in 2017, and the essence was just police brutality and the way people had been treated. And so it created a riot there in Detroit. And there were several different committees and commissions that came out of that effort. And the formation of this bank was one of those ideas that exist today. Now, uh, having having been chartered in 1970, living out some 52 years later, Uh, the irony of that history is very unique and that when we saw what happened in the murder of George Floyd in 2020, it just demonstrated the same inequities that we are dealing with and have been dealing with. And so, um, but for conversations, we looked at, at Minneapolis and looked at some of the same discrepancies around home ownership, et cetera, to build a business case that First Independence made and would be the right partner to look at moving and establishing a branch in the Twin City area.
0: So, so talk about the, the kind of the unique partnership that brought you all to the Twin Cities or, or opened that door.
1: Yeah, I would tell you it's unprecedented. And I've used that word before, and I'll say it again unprecedented to see five major leaders of five dominant and prominent banks, in which what represent roughly 80% of the deposit share of the market come together and say, we can find a way to make a difference here that is non conventional. And so from those conversations that group had been meeting, I think many of you you know those individuals. We just talked about their banks. You just mentioned them a moment ago, but I'll do it for clarity, which included Bank of America. Uh, We had Katie Simpson there, Bremer Bank, which included Gene Crane, uh, Huntington Bank, Mike Jones, who was there previously with TCF. So TCF and Huntington is better known now, but I just want to relate to the name that many may know in the Twin Cities, TCF, and that's Mike Jones. And then we had U.S. Bank, Tim Welch, and then Lori Nordquist with Wells Fargo. Uh, but the five of them, I had a chance to meet with them and start discussing ways that we could make a difference as a sector in that community. And it led to the discovery of looking at bringing a branch of our minority-owned depository institution into the Twin Cities.
0: So so Kenneth, I, I've, I've heard you you talk, uh, again, just really interested in the history of, of kind of black-owned banks. And uh, as, as as we were getting to know you, you talked about um, the fact actually that there's been a decline in Black-owned banks across the country. Can you say a little bit more about that and kind of what's been driving that?
1: Sure. I, I would tell you, Paul, it's a very interesting topic. We have been watching banks decline across the board um, because of mergers and acquisitions. We just, I made reference to one just a moment ago, right? Uh, uh, TCF used to be, be there in the Twin Cities, which became TCF in Detroit and in Minnesota, which is now Huntington, across Ohio, back through Michigan, back to, to Minnesota. Uh, we're seeing that phenomenon rank from the top in the largest banks all the way down to the smaller banks. But beyond that, what we're also seeing, probably at a higher rate, is a reduction and decline in, in particularly minority banks and specifically African-American banks. If you go back to 2001, there were 48 African-American banks in this country out of over 5,000 banks. Uh, Today, we're talking about mainly about 17 that are minority-owned and controlled that are in the country out of right at 5,000 banks. So we are seeing certainly the decline in the number of banks, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, One, there is the desire to scale. It is very difficult in this business to make money now with costs such as your compliance costs your IT costs, and your labor, your human capital is going up. And the reality is we're the, the original distribution network, the branch system, um, has becoming obsolete because many people use what I have in my hand now, which is a cell phone. So we're seeing some changing in the industry that has really demonstrated the need to kind of shrink in the number of banks just from a cost perspective. But most importantly, we're seeing that decline happen at a rate that is certainly faster than the norm in the African-American community.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and and talk a little bit about uh, First Independence's kind of model. What, what do you all bring um, to the communities that you work in and, and kind of in terms of not just products and services, but your approach and, and how is that unique and, and kind of added value?
1: Yeah, so it's it, ironic. It gets back to how we ended up in Minnesota. We've been very collaborative in nature and in and, and our style of lending. And that means we know we can't do do all and be all to everyone. And so uh, given the infrastructure we have, and it is limited from a resource perspective, we partnered with larger banks. And at that point in time, we had a partnership with Chemical Bank, which had merged with TCF. Mm-hmm. Uh, back with the city of Detroit, we bid on Business together with them. So that collaborative approach is really how we got introduced to the discussion with the Fab Five, as we call them at that point in time, now known as the Fab Six, now that we've been at it. But what I would tell you is we believe that the best way to solve many of these ills is to demonstrate that we can work with individuals who have strengths that we don't have, and we can bring the strengths that we do have. What we have typically focused on has been predominantly more hard asset lending. Um, lending on commercial real estate, residential real estate, and equipment and leasing. Those have been the cornerstones of our business because we, in, in many cases, we have not been competitive in the marketplace when you think about things such as auto lending and some of the other more specialized lending. And so what we focused on is trying to be really good at what we're really good at and then try to partner with banks that are specific. I'll give you another example, um, SBA lending. We do not do a lot of SBA lending inside a First Independence Bank, but we have done some partnering with other banks where we work with them to be sure that we can meet the needs of our customers and our clients. And so what I would tell you most, and, and I think what has been demonstrated by the Fab Five now, the Fab Six, is the ability to collaborate to solve problems. And the issue of home ownership, when you think about it there in the Twin Cities, got one of the largest gaps in the country between African-Americans and Caucasians. That is an effort that we have clarified with the FAB 6 that we can work on together, Paul.
0: Well, and I know we're really excited at PPL about that. As some folks may know, PPL has been doing uh, uh, what's called Home Stretch, which is really a, a home ownership preparation and training uh, for first-time home homebuyers. Uh, and we've recently actually uh, expanded our down payment assistance uh, funding uh, through, uh, through a really innovative uh, internal fund uh, that uh, a donor brought to us. And so we're, we're, we're in that space. We're excited to work with you all on that. Do you see a lot of that kind of partnership uh, or collaborative working amongst banks historically? Or is it has it really kind of been, it seems like it's a very siloed industry.
1: Well, I I think you just said it best there in the latter, Uh, but I think the requirements of communities are changing the need for that to go going forward. The collaboration I just talked about, there's a need for that to take place now. Uh, And while I just described all of that, those issues around the banks themselves, it's going to take collaborative partners like you, Paul, at PPL. It's going to take working with individuals like Tanya Allen at the McKnight Foundation, to try to solve these problems, because no one institution is gonna be able to really make the heavy lift and, and bring the, num- the scale that's needed to bear to change these numbers in a, in a dramatic way. And so I think it's gonna be a community effort and it's gonna take a community and collaborative type leadership to be sure that as we tackle these problems, we have someone pushing from all different angles in a way that we can get momentum on some of these really big issues.
0: Um, I, I know you've uh, you've actually written extensively on uh, kind of financial education and empowerment in communities of color. Why is that so important? And and um, and how do you infuse that into uh, First Independence's work? Sure,
1: it, it, it's a it's a fundamental, I think, of a capitalist society is to understand the rules and how, if you want to use a metaphor loosely, the game is played, so to speak. But understanding literacy is one of those that I think is core to who we are and it's core to what we're trying to accomplish, which is really uplifting the community, especially in an economic, uh, environmental, capitalistic environment. And so we have written a about that. We are now focused on my latest or my new book that I just wrote Was is about being prepared before you let go, being sure that every family has a will, health care directive, and power of attorney. Again, those are just simple rules of the game. If you d- decide not to have them, there are costs associated with that. And most importantly, it impacts your family directly. And so we're going to talk about those issues going forward, Paul, in a way that hopefully simplifies them not to talk at individuals or over them, but to speak to them about this issue. Because what we have realized is that, you know, once you're educated on a topic, it's a lot easier to make a choice at that point in time. And unfortunately, what we have seen is many times in our communities where there is a lack of education, the opportunity is not an informed choice. It is doing what you have seen, which is check cashing and payday lending. And, and I get it. We've all probably been in a situation where you're in a tight and you have to do what is needed to keep food on the table and to feed your family. But the reality is we have to continue to talk about these and elevate the level of education so that individuals can make wiser choices.
0: Yeah, that's a really powerful concept. And I love that that phrase being prepared before you let go. Um, that really uh, uh, and and again, it, it it's it's so simple, but it is also so challenging. And I, I just think of of you know in my own family, you know in 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 my the black community here in in St. Paul, my family you know goes back many years. Um, we never talked about money. Now, in right. fact, my father, my grandparents, uh, aunts, and uncles, in fact, owned property. Uh, And owned property in Saint Paul along that Rondo neighborhood, or along that Mm -hmm. corridor where they took the freeway out, um, and in fact, likely lost wealth or lost assets, kind of long run uh, in that. But but it's just I've heard that talked about a lot. Where where it within the black community, there isn't a real history of of being, you know, kind of transparent and upfront and planful about how we handle money. So it's a powerful concept.
1: Well, well, Paul, it's interesting because you have to go back to some of the genesis of that and not to say that it is, you know, the blame, but it certainly is the genesis. And I mean that sincerely. When you go back to um, 1865 and the establishment of the Freedmen's Bank, which was to take care of those formerly um, slaves who now were free, uh, many individuals lost their money putting their faith in that. And it created a culture where individuals were willing to put their money Quote un, under the mattress or in between the mattress or bury it in the backyard. Um, but the bad news is, to your point, it is taboo to talk about it sometimes in our culture. And it's one of those things I think we have to really try to transform how we think about it and realize that education is extremely important. Uh, to your effect, your your point of the Rondo community, you know, there's a community in Detroit called Black Bottom. There's a Tulsa. You can look at many prominent. African-American communities in the midst of segregation in these larger cities that had freeways to come through them and really just blow them up, so to speak, from a value proposition perspective. Uh, That has been studied, it's been documented. We need to talk about those to prevent those things from happening in the future, because there will be more freeways, there will be other opportunities to build in metro areas, and we have to be sure that the less fortunate isn't taken advantage of because the quote property is cheap. And to your final point uh, about the being prepared before we let go, CNBC and um, NBC just did a study and, and identified there's a crisis in America. And that crisis is focused on the low percentage of wills, healthcare directives, and power of attorneys within families. And to your point, a lot of property has been lost and or the value associated with that property has been lost through the process of not Quote, understanding the game and having a will, healthcare directive, and power of attorney in place. And so I could belabor this a long time to be candid with you. It's what, some of my mission work, Paul. Mm. But the truth of the matter is, we certainly need to get the word out, regardless of how poor you think you are or how rich you are. You really need to have these documents in place, not for yourself, but for your loved ones.
0: And, and Kenneth, if I can just ask, kind of building on that, in terms of of serving different diverse communities. You've also talked about wanting to serve the mainstream community. Oh, no, no, no,
1: no question. Um, That's a great point. And if this can be sliced in there, Rick, it should be. Uh, The need for banks like ours to have uh, what I call touch points inside of the main infrastructure of our economy is critical. We need to have, as part of our four-point plan, it has a component of it that we have corporates as customers. The other piece that was very attractive to us in looking at the Twin Cities was a high number of Fortune 500s on a per capita basis inside of Minneapolis. They will be critical to our long-term success and having relationships with them on the asset side and the deposit side. And members of those corporations, meaning individual families, having relationships with a bank like ours will be critical to us being successful. Part of the challenges where we see The decline, Paul, in the number of African-American banks is sometimes they're isolated. People believe that they are a Black-only bank, not a Black-owned bank. So just to be very clear, we are an African-American owned and controlled bank, not a Black-only bank. And so we certainly invite members of all persuasions from the community to support us. We need that to be sustainable, to be very candid with you, and we invite you to come and join us and. And allow us to demonstrate through our customer service that we value you as a customer.
0: And so, Kenneth, you all will be looking for depositors. You'll be looking for uh, uh, certainly real estate loan opportunities. You'll be looking for home ownership uh, as you build out partnerships, perhaps on the home ownership lending side. You'll be looking uh, uh, for for different kinds of uh, asset uh, uh, opportunities and so forth. So it's really it's a you're really looking to build out a kind of a full service banking operation.
1: That's correct. Yeah. Very much so.
0: That's fabulous. So, so you've talked about, uh, again, ownership and, and the different ways that the bank's gonna, gonna um, uh, kind of engage and really deepen its footprint here in the Twin Cities. Can you just talk a little bit more about kind of the opportunity for growth that you see here? I have to imagine this was not an easy decision. Uh, to, to branch out into a new di- city, right? Uh, into a new geography, quite frankly, as you said, that, is, that has been at the heart of some of our worst disparities in this country. What, what, what went into your calculus and kind of thinking about that opportunity here?
1: Yeah, cer- certainly I would tell you a strong, strong component of this was the collaboration we saw with the Fab Five, those five individuals that I just named and the banks that they represent uh, that that was a catalyst that made it a lot easier, along with the work of Peter Frosch at Greater MSP, kind of behind the scenes, orchestrating and helping to make this happen in a way that was going to be seamless. Until we got to a point that we knew this was going to be a a practical endeavor. Uh, but I, I would tell you also, when you think about, you know, as you said, you have to think about culture. And so while Detroit has its own culture, we know Minneapolis has a culture too. And so for me. It was extremely important that we were going to find the right leader who could lead in that area, who was from that area. Because I raised my hand by saying, you know, while I don't mean any disrespect that I was not planning to move to Minneapolis, it was really a nod to say that I understand and respect your culture. And so for me to be successful, we know we needed someone from your culture to be our leader. And we, we think we made an excellent choice in that, in Damon Jenkins. He's worked for U.S. Bank and also Wells Fargo and came highly recommended from personnel from both of those institutions. And so he's lived there for 32 years, grew up on the south side of the city and understands banking very well. Someone who knows the hands and boats of banking, so to speak, or the nuts and bolts of banking. And So we're very excited about having him. And I would tell you, as part of the calculus, it was a culture, as we just talked about, the collaboration we saw with the Fab Five that really made this something that was really viable going forward.
0: Well, we're, we're excited. I mean, part of what uh, we at PPL have talked about is, is um, how we rebuild is as important as what we rebuild. And, and in all of the efforts to, to not just build, rebuild Lake Street and West Broadway on the north side and University Avenue in St. Paul, but, but building capacity You've you've touched on this building ownership in community, building the muscle, uh, the, the the fabric in the community to really um, take ownership. Right, it, it, uh, Reverend Sharpton said it in in, uh, in uh, George Floyd's uh, funeral. If you would just take your knee off of our necks, we could get this done. And there is something about that self empowerment. Right, how we rebuild is as important as what we rebuild. And so so for us at PPL. Um, to get involved in this collaborative, um, it, it was it was an easy decision. Um, it hasn't been easy, as you know, necessarily kind of getting getting there to the finish line. I think we're almost there. Um, but 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 that it really was a was a good fit for us. So can you just talk a little bit about kind of the rollout and what's the rollout going to look like in 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 the, in this next month or two and and really throughout the the, the year.
1: Yes, I I would tell you that um, I'm gonna spare the audience of the sausage making that you alluded to, but that's the reality that comes with any tough decision. And so while I talked about the collaboration and culture, you know, to be candid, Paul, you are a critical part of that too in the culture outside of the the muscle of the the banking sector. I mean, your decision-making, your ability to help us open doors and to reach individuals like the mayors, et cetera, was critical to us. And I just wanna say thank you publicly for your efforts in being sure that, again, this was something that was gonna be viable. But what I would tell you as you think about our rollout and where we are now, Uh, we talked to, and I don't know the exact number of individuals, but we talked to a wide, wide range of individuals who were stakeholders, people who understood culture at the neighborhood level, across the county level, and even the state level all the way up to you know, even the attorney general in this process to be sure that as we were in the process of rolling out a plan to make an announcement that we had really the community support that this was the right thing to do as you just alluded to. So let me say thank you to all of those individuals that I had, whether it was a one short conversation or multiple conversations with, uh, your input helped allow this to come true and become a reality. So the great news is, that um this upcoming i know we're taping this today on the 15th but um this upcoming tuesday february 22nd we will actually have our soft opening we're calling it that because we're going to invite customers in to to open accounts with us um, with our leadership team starting on the 22nd and we'll be open for business uh going forward from there we'll be there on university drive in a building that's owned by ppl i'm so grateful to you and to be uh, leasing from the PPL group in this whole process to help make this happen faster. Um, over time, we'll be moving into the Hennepin County building there on Lake Street. And if you don't know the crossroads, that's right there at Hiawatha and Lake Street. Uh, Caddy Corner to where the target is on the northeast quadrant of that intersection. We're going to be in the county building on the southwest quadrant of that intersection. So we're excited about that. We're hopeful that's going to open the latter part of Q2, if not early Q three this year. So we're very excited about that and looking forward to really fully engaging the full community at some point in time. We will have what I would call maybe a more public announcement when the weather warms up and we can get people together safely in the midst of the pandemic. Uh, We're very sensitive to that and want to be sure that the community knows that we're sensitive to that to that. That's one reason we're having kind of this soft rollout. We do not want a lot of individuals kind of Uh, clustering in a small confined area in the midst of this pandemic. So we're going to ask for all of your, your audiences support to be sure that we not only have a successful opening, but uh, well beyond my years on this earth, that there's a first independence bank branch there in the Minneapolis twin city area. So we're excited about coming Paul. And thank you so much for asking.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, uh, both really strategic locations, Uh, the, the university Avenue branch, uh, you know, just just uh, uh, almost on the border, exactly between Minneapolis and Saint Paul, on a light rail line, uh, close to transit, uh, close to I ninety four and two eighty. So great location there. And Lake and Hennepin will also be, or Lake and, and uh, Hiawatha will also be uh, a great location in terms of again, real key transit thoroughfares um, and and proximity to uh, to a very diverse um, communities. So. Um, is there a website that folks can go to to, to learn more about uh, First Independence and, and sure. the rollout activities?
1: Yes, yeah, certainly. It's firstindependence.com, F-I-R-S-T-I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-C-E.com. And so, Paul, as you bring up the locations and while I talked about the county location, I do want to take a moment to say thank you to the Wells Fargo family um, under Laurie Norquist's leadership there in the Twin Cities. Uh, they made a donation of that facility they have there's the only drive-through opportunity inside of the Twin Cities that we were able to move into this upcoming Tuesday and so I just want to thank Laurie and in particularly the, the Wells Fargo team for their assistance and being sure that we had an opportunity to move into the market swiftly, because but for that, we certainly wouldn't be having having an opening this upcoming Tuesday. So I just want to say thank you to Wells Fargo as yeah, part of I their, their supporting that process.
0: And I just want to echo that. Felt Wells Fargo has been has been great uh, to to work with in terms of uh, uh, having that facility donated to PPL and then and then released uh, to First Independence. So again, that was an easy. Uh, an easy yes for us, um, and uh, and again a, a good role for us. It, it uses PPL's ability to kind of move quickly on real estate and and kind of bring what what we do best in a way that supports community. Um, so yes. um, and and we're really we're really excited about that. Well, thank you, Kenneth. Um, great discussion, and and thanks to all of our listeners uh, for for uh, listening in today. Uh, I'm Paul Williams from Project for Pride and Living. Uh, And this has been the Race, Place, and Policy podcast. We'd love to hear what you think uh, about our conversations as well. Drop us a note at communications at ppl-inc.org. That's communications at ppl-inc.org. Give us some of your thoughts uh, or some ideas on what you'd like to hear about uh, in upcoming podcasts. And we hope you'll subscribe and sign up for notifications from wherever you get your podcasts. You can always find us on our website at www.ppl-inc.org. Until next time, thanks so much and, and be well.